Welcome to Behind the Screens. I'm Ryan Preventure from Movio. I'm Simon Burton from Numero. And I'm Matthew Liebman from Vista Group. Hey boys, you done your Christmas shopping? Is everything wrapped and under the tree? Everything is wrapped and under the tree. I got it done about two weeks ago. So Well done. Yeah. Most people listening will probably hate me now. Yeah. You didn't wrap yours that far in advance, did you, Simon? No. No, I didn't, Matt. I'm a bit not as uh, on top of it as Ryan is, but... It'll all be there by uh, by Sunday. I'll make sure of it. Nice, nice. You got Allen keys and stuff for the kids as well. I do actually. Or, or do you have to build stuff this year, or are you beyond the the building phase of Christmas? No, I've got two things uh, down in the basement that I've been instructed I have to put together before before Sunday. They're both for the children. I hope. Alrighty, so we um, we have a film finally. Uh, Avatar: The Way of Water hit cinemas. Uh, is it as big as we all hoped, Simon? Well, certainly open to, to an enormous number, um, $441.6 million globally, uh, $134 million domestically. Uh, that domestic number, slightly shy of some of the, the predictions over the last couple of weeks, you sort of heard anything between the range of 150 to $180 million uh, in the US market, but still $134 million, an extremely strong opening. Globally, that's the third biggest post-pandemic result behind Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, some of the highlights internationally this past weekend, if we rattle through the, the, the top few markets there, China opened to $57 million. Again, there, there were some hopes that may get as close to $100 million in China, uh, but a spike in, in COVID there, I think, would have slowed down the, the, the admissions heading along. Um, Korea, number two, $24.9 million. Germany, number three at 20 million, France, 19 million, despite I think a, a lot of people watching the World Cup final on Sunday. Uh, and India, perhaps it's a little surprise there to come in at fifth position, position internationally with $18 million, bumping the UK down to number six at 14.2 and Mexico at number seven with 12.9 million. So some, some solid results there. Um, interestingly, also... Asia Pacific took nearly $150 million of that, that international total of a bit over 300. So, so nearly 50% of the, the international gross coming from the APAC region uh, with some, some super results. I think one market there, Vietnam, popped out as being, being quite high on the, on the list. Um, Europe taking $117 million and LATAM taking $36 million. Um, another huge result was looking at the, the IMAX numbers. It was the second highest IMAX result in, in history taking $48.8 million from a tick under 1,600 screens. Um, and interestingly to note, 66% of the worldwide opening was taken on 3D screens. So a real shift there. Uh, and I think it all augurs extremely well for, for the next few weeks with regards to the, the hold and seeing how, how Avatar performs uh, over the, the coming weeks. I think it's going to have an extremely strong hold given the, the word of mouth. And uh, we'll see how those grosses end up more towards the, the end of January. Right? I think it'll be a huge number by that stage. I think you're going to see some repeat visits. I've, I've already gone a couple of times, as I was saying before we hit record. You must see it in 3D. You must see it on a big screen. And I've been looking at a lot of the seating maps um, in our part of the world, which you know both Australia and New Zealand seem to have contributed to that outperformance in Asia Pac. And the, the PLF and IMAX screens are sold out. And so if you want to see it, you might be bumped into a 2D, at which point you go, that was good, 
God, I want to see it in great. I'll go back and see it in IMAX after Christmas. And, you know, I think a lot's been made of the running time as well. And uh, I think as you're running around trying to get your Christmas shopping sorted, maybe three hours, 12 minutes is a bit too much to devote this side of Christmas. But, you know, come a week from now, when things calm down a little bit, I think there'll be a whole other second wave. You know, far be it for us also to, to defend, uh, feel the need to defend James Cameron, but this is the biggest um, film of his career. It's the first time he's cracked 100 million in box office. And when you take the original's domestic opening of 77 mil and adjusted for inflation, it was 109 mil. So it blew that one away also. So for me, by, by all accounts, this is a, a resounding success. You know, I just wanted to comment there might have been some people that wanted to see it in a certain certain format that was sold out. They're like, well, we're just going to wait. We want to see it in that format. So I think that's going to be another indicator of a, a great hold. But he is the king of movies holding over months. I mean, Titanic was number one from January till I think it was April or May. It was one of the longest runs of all time. Avatar held on forever. He he he's not necessarily interested in the huge opening. He's more interested in how it's going to extend over the period of times. And frankly, Disney knows that. So I'm sure they're thrilled with this opening. And look, to the extent that past is prologue, when you look at the original film and look at its Rotten Tomato score, both for the critics and the reviewers, they both came in at 82%. Critics are roughly the same this time around at 78%. The audience is up at 94%. So there's going to be a lot of strong word of mouth. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot, of, as we keep saying, not a lot between now and, and February. And actually the drop between Friday and Saturday was quite small uh, in North America. And that's another great sign just this weekend that it wasn't, it wasn't a completely front-loaded movie. People went and saw it over the weekend and word of mouth with an A Cinema score probably really helped. So I, again, I, all points from an audience perspective are that this is gonna this is gonna do well for quite some time. So, Ryan, who came and saw it? What what was the audience composition like? Well, you know, it's interesting. The comps didn't really change uh, when we looked at it after the film opened compared to what we've been looking over the last couple of weeks. But the comps were Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, uh, the Avatar re-release back in September, Black Adam, Thor: Love and Thunder, Spider Man: No Way Home. Jurassic World, Dominion, Eternals, and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. All kind of big tentpole films, as you'd expect. We compared it to Wakanda Forever this time around. And I think the important thing to really remember here and is, is something that is really positive for this film. You know, people can kind of be saying some negative stuff, but the fact is the infrequent moviegoers was 42% of the audience. Uh, that is a great number. That means people maybe just who haven't been back and have only gone back a couple of times since the pandemic started, decided to come back and see this movie. And if they enjoyed it, like we've seen with the cinema score, then they're going to want to come back either to see it again or see something new. And that's, that's sort of that celebration of the magic of cinema, right? And I think that's, that's what Cameron is good. He's getting those people to come back and see his movies. Now, you know, people came back for Wakanda forever, but again, I, I think it's really important to kind of highlight that 42%. And again, it's it's the five plus tickets that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. 12% uh, of the audience bought multiple, multiple tickets to this. And again, that means that this is kind of a, at least this weekend was a group effort to go see it. And that's a, that's a, 
that's a good sign. Males were a little bit more at 61% compared to 58% for Wakanda Forever. I would have thought it would have been closer to the 50-50 because this is just what we call a four-quadrant film. Everyone wants to see it, but it does skew a little bit more male. And the age ranges were the same for both audiences. I think that's indicative of these kind of movies that uh, the age ranges all kind of stay around the same. But, you know, this is a I'll say it again, bringing in the infrequent audience back to the cinema is a huge deal. It it can't be overlooked. And if people are coming back to see this, then we got to give James Cameron a lot of credit for getting those people back into cinemas. Yeah. I want to jump in on the age thing for a second, because I was reading some research from the consulting company Morning Consult that was released just this week. And they've looked into the behaviors and preferences of Generation Z, both in TV and moviegoers. And one of the things they found in their report, they asked um, respondents what they thought the ideal length of a movie should be. And for Gen Z, uh, they found that 41% thought that a movie should ideally be less than 90 minutes compared to 31% for all US adults. So they're really leaning to the short, sharp run times that we used to have. Um, Interestingly, both Gen Z and all adults, only 4% of them thought the ideal length was more than three hours. I don't know who on the face of the planet thinks the ideal length should be more than three hours. But anyway, I, I looked at that and went, okay, Gen Z, want to go and see a film that's 90 minutes long. For the opening weekend, Gen Z represented 21% of the audience versus 20% for all movies. So it just goes to show when the right movie comes out, even those who prefer a shorter film are going to show up and see it in cinemas and maybe even outperform, which is what we saw with this category. It The problem is, and, and Avatar is not, not going to really have this issue, but, it, you know, the idea of, um, you know, just not enough screens, you know, because of the, not enough show times, I should say, because, because of the runtime. I mean, that's probably Avatar didn't have that issue because they got all the screens they needed in the runtimes. But um, Simon, sorry, you were, you were going to, share something i think oh, yes. it's just, maybe it illustrates that gen z aren't sure what they want matt i i think so um and as the the proud parent of a couple of them i can say at least two of them don't <laughs> <laughs> all righty boys so this is our final episode of the year and so we have some great interviews lined up already for next year and we got some other surprises ahead but i thought it might be worth doing a quick year in review um and so just wanted to, to ask a couple of questions and get your views. What do you reckon the biggest highlights or issues or trends were for the year? Um, Simon, why don't you kick us off? Uh, sure. Yeah, I couldn't go past the, the phenomenon that was Top Gun Maverick, right? I think there was a heap of hype before it. We were all wondering how it was going to perform. Um, and it just kept on keeping on, right? The records kept falling uh, in, in, in all markets around the world, right? It wasn't isolated, just a few. Um, resulting in that that enormous box office surpassing $1.4 billion globally, right? Um, and, and I guess really sort of put that that uh, blockbuster tempo film back in, in, in the spotlight uh, in everybody and brought so many people back to the movie theatres. So, um, yeah, so hats off to, to Tom Cruise and, and Paramount for that, that huge success. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, what stood out for you this year? I, you know... Again, I think it's a lot of it has to do with people returning to the cinemas. And like Simon said, I think some of the the audience started coming back that just weren't coming back, which is Top Gun was indicative of that. And I think Bullet Train did a little of that as well. And I th we had we had some movies that reminded people of of really, and I said this earlier, but the, the magic of cinema, right? 
There's a there's a reason to come to the cinema and sit next to a complete stranger and enjoy a movie. And I I think I think exhibitors and studios brought a lot of the best product that they could. I think we've got to I think another thing to look at is we needed a little more product. I think it was very indicative this year that we had a number of weeks where there just weren't either strong movies, there weren't any. And we needed a little more um, we need a little more content to just take us over the edge. It was a good, it's been a good year and a stronger year than next year. We can talk about that in a second, but I think there, we needed just a little bit more content, but the idea of having that, that cinema day, I think really showed, um, the reduced price really did help, uh, back in September. And I think a, a lot of people came back that, that hadn't been before because of the reduced price. And that's something I think really Hollywood in general needs to look at and exhibitors need to consider because um, it worked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, for me, I think this is the year that we finally got an understanding between studios and exhibitors around Windows and the implication of streaming. Uh, you know, we for a lot of most of my career, I guess most of our careers, there's been that debate about Windows. What will happen? Will the bottom fall out of the market? And the pandemic forced our hand, I think, some studios went a little further than they needed to and are now walking it back. And to an extent, there was a, a, a you know scenario of touching the stove and finding it's hot. And we found the middle ground being around that 45 day level. Uh, I think streaming is now being viewed more realistically. You know, it's about earning a profit, not just racking up subscribers. And that's going to have a bearing on films too. And I think we're going to find a nice middle ground. Um, you know, to me, David Zaslov is now the, the patron saint of cinema exhibition. He he was just a quote machine. And I think my favorite of the year is the, the one where he said, and, and so this idea of expensive films going direct to streaming, we cannot find an economic case for it. We cannot find economic value for it. He's basically called out that the emperor has no clothes. And I think the rest of the industry is coming together. I reckon there were a couple of others, you know, all the people we got to speak to this year. I'm grateful for their time and, and insights. And you know, Ryan, you becoming the, the third part of our little three amigos here is, is also got to be a, a highlight. It was a highlight for me, certainly. So it can't be a movie podcast without talking about our favorites for the year. Um, Ryan, what were your, your top five or so uh, movies that you watched this year? Uh, I'm going to say or so because I actually have six here and I haven't seen all of them and I do have honorable mentions. So I have a lot to cover. So apologies for that. Uh, Top Gun obviously makes the list. Uh, it, it's just a phenomenal experience uh, on screen. Marcel, the shell with shoes on. I didn't think this movie was going to connect with me. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I, I would watch it over and over again. Uh, Till just really pulled the heartstrings. It's an important movie. Everyone should see it. Elvis, fantastic. Fableman's, again, fantastic. And it hasn't gone wide yet, but my... I added another one. Women Talking is just a phenomenal film and a really important film right now. I haven't seen Tar, Banshees of Inishirin, or She Said yet, so I'll uh, I'll be looking to those. But a couple of honorable mentions. The Whale is quite a good film with Brendan Fraser giving it a phenomenal performance. Weird, the Al Yankovic movie is actually quite funny and fantastic. And The Batman was, was just a great sort of start to the first quarter of the year and, and really brought brought audiences together to see it. So overall, a really great year. Loved a lot of movies. Yeah. I can't I can't go past Maverick as my number one. I don't think it'll ever hit my top 10 movies of, of all time, but it was the movie we needed. Um, we got it when we needed it. And I think it gave pretty much the perfect cinema experience that, you know, we, we also all hang, hung out for. 
Um, because I'm down at this part of the world, there are a number of films that haven't been released yet, like Banshees and Fablemans. I look forward to catching them. But I loved She Said. I'm angry that not enough people saw it. Bullet Train is phenomenal. Uh, Elvis was excellent. Glass Onion was one of the best cinema experiences that I've had, just in terms of people having fun in a full auditorium. Um, and my honourable mention would go to seeing Jaws in re-release in IMAX. Um, I've seen it God knows how many times, never on the big screen, and got to see it on one of the biggest, and it was altogether new experience. So that was a great one. Hey, Berto, what about you? What what? Uh, you... Yeah, I'm with you guys. I loved I loved Elvis. I thought that was it was a great story. Um, Top Gun, I probably saw the most. I think I saw it four or five times, and, and most of those times were at uh, industry conventions and the anticipation going into each one of those screenings um and after i'd seen it the first time then the next couple uh knowing that the, the crowd was going to be amazed at, at the end of it uh, and just seeing that that joy of, of of cinema operators leaving the auditorium knowing that they had a huge hit on their hands was uh was extremely exciting um throughout sort of may and, and june so um yeah that was certainly a a highlight uh and then also enjoyed bullet train and, and, and the batman going back to to uh earlier in the year so predictions for next year boys um simon what do you reckon it's gonna we've got on the horizon for 2023 but i think it's a huge year at the box office i've seen some estimates in the last couple of weeks so that we're going to be up to the 12 percent or, or nudging that that 30 billion global mark, uh, I guess China's an X factor. So if we take that out of the calculations and just look at, you know, global without without the China results, that seems to fluctuate pretty dramatically based on on, on the pandemic still uh, in that part of the world. But seeing the, the actual release slate for next year, there's no real sort of uh, gaps in it. I, th I think if we look at 2022, there was a period, I recall in sort of late February and March, we were waiting for the Batman to, to open um and then when we hit the end of the u.s summer there was another sort of six to eight week period it felt like where there was just no real tent poles and, and we're just sort of commenting on box office results that weren't really delivering what we needed but that's not the case next year um it, it, it's it's pretty full the, the calendar so i'm hoping that drives some uh some vigor into the the global box office i think we'll see after q1 where that sits um but yeah i would hope that the global box office tops $30 billion next year. And we're, we're getting back closer to some of those pre pandemic levels. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Ryan? What do you think is going to um, be, what will we be talking about a year from now? I'm hoping that we're going to see a lot less of the streaming happening at the same time as the cinema release. It happened a lot less this year, but we did still see it a couple of times, even on some major features. So I'm really kind of hoping that uh, the idea of just bringing back the theatrical experience, uh, you know, the window is shrinking, but let's, or has shrunk. I don't know if it's going to shrink anymore, but the fact is let's, let's keep movies in theaters for as long as possible. And, you know, this was a great year. We're already at 7 billion in North America, uh, close to that North America compared to last year's 4.48 billion. So we're 64% above 2021 and we're not even at the very, very end of the year. So that number is going to go up. I think the number is going to go up quite a bit next year. Uh, I, I can't wait for a number of the films, Indiana Jones being the one that I'm really looking forward to. But I think I think we're we've people have done in the industry have done a good job of convincing people it's time to come back to the cinemas. And next year is going to be the real year that shows people have returned. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think my my prediction 
overlays both of what you said. I think there's going to be a right-sizing of the supply chain. Um, not only has that two-year sort of lead time that it takes to get a film produced and in theatres started to expire with, with COVID, and we're going to see, uh, as Simon was saying, something just about every week. But I think we're going to see fewer of these titles um, go straight to, to streaming or be made for streaming. You know, you don't need to overcapitalize on a film like you did for The Grey Man, especially when eight days later it gets knocked off top spot in terms of um, viewing minutes by a really modest film like um, Purple Hearts. And if you're going to spend $200 million like you did um, for, for Grey Man, then might as well spend it on a flagship series like Wednesday or Stranger Things or House of Dragon or Bad Sisters that lock people in for eight to ten weeks instead of just two hours. So I think we're going to see um, the tide coming in for theatrical releases and a bit of a pairing back in terms of the scale and ambition, but also just the raw number of movies um, that are going to um, to the, the streaming platforms. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and I wish I could remember which one it is to give them credit, but TV is now becoming such a, um, I guess, a battlefield for writers that they're turning their series into feature films. I guess we can say Armor Wars maybe had a different motivator, but there's a series uh, set for Disney Plus that's going theatrical with a feature film. Um, but one of the comments I thought really interesting was um, a lot of the writers are thinking that what they were making for TV, uh, especially premium streaming services, should have been a feature anyway, but they turned them into eight parts because that's what everyone was doing. And the minute the habits break, then maybe we'll see more more theatrical films as well. So it looks like we all have a, a similar positive view, both in terms of the, the range and diversity of the content uh, and also, the, you know, the fact that there's a great looking lineup each week that'll that'll correspond to a real boost in admissions and, and box office. So why don't we wrap it up for the year? And I guess talking of wrapping it up, um, I discovered that Anchor, which is part of Spotify, um, which which we uh, which we use for our podcast, did a year in review wrapped thing, very similar to what we were all listening with our personal playlists, and um, wanted to shout out our listeners uh, because uh, there are some phenomenal numbers here. We have listeners coming in from twenty six countries, mainly from the US and UK, Australia and New Zealand, but we should also give a shout out to the tastemakers who tuned in from places like Norway and the Cayman Islands and Lithuania and Nepal and Kenya. Um, our listeners grew by almost 70% this year. And if you're, you're one of the 29 people for whom we are your number one podcast, that's amazing. And thank you. And, you know, I guess you haven't heard of the town um, with Matt Bell. I think if you made us number one. Um, our followers increased by about 120% this year. So thank you to all the new listeners. And one third of our listeners actually follow the podcast, uh, making us apparently one of the top 15% for most followed podcasts. Uh, if you're some of those two out of three people who only casually listen, hit the subscribe button and we'll be in your inbox every every week of, of next year. Um, and our podcast was in the top 20% apparently um, shared globally, which is amazing. Um, so, you know, thanks, mum, I guess. Where did um, you get all these numbers from, Matt? Are these legitimate? They seem extraordinary. I didn't realize we had so They blew me away. I they came out from from Spotify, which is part of the platform we we um, we use. Um, I find them extraordinary too. I, I couldn't believe it. So take it all back. Um, We've got the best marketing department in the world. Yeah, I didn't know you needed to take it back because they're going to edit us if if you if you say stuff like that, or they'll edit you. <laughs> 
there'll be all these comments where you go, what do you think, Birdo? And just dead air until Ryan speaks. He'll cut you out. Oh. And the last one we should call out, this is the horoscope section. Spotify defines the podcast personality. Um, and um, for you, our listeners, you are the enthusiasts. You're apparently super fans who listen to new episodes right when they drop. Uh, and um, that sounds like the, the best type of listeners we could have. So um, I would add that it probably makes you intelligent, good looking and, and fun to have at parties. Um, that's my own little bit. Spotify didn't add that. But look, seriously, we want to thank all our listeners. We want to thank all our guests who've, who've come on and shared their insights with us. We really need to thank Patrick and Grace for the marketing and editing work that went into it. And uh, we look forward to coming back in mid-January. So I guess this is it, um, at least publicly, uh, gents. So Merry Christmas to you both. All the best for the New Year's. And uh, look forward to catching up with you in 2023. Oh, Merry Christmas to you too, Matt. Great job. Great wrap up there. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, the world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow Movio, Numero and Vista Group on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna. 